Hey, this is Dale Johnson, producer and editor of How Art is Born. Our interview with Shannon Finnegan is the penultimate episode of season two. If you've been tuning in for every episode this season, thank you so much for your support. If you're new to the show, welcome, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the rest of our interviews with amazing guests this season and in season one. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this interview with the talented Shannon Finnegan. And don't forget to mark your calendars for our season finale coming out on Wednesday, December 28th. Welcome to How Art is Born, a podcast from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practices. I'm your host, R. Alan Brooks, artist, writer, and professor. Today I'm joined by Brooklyn-based artist Shannon Finnegan. Say hello. Hi. Okay, so to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes, um, I consider myself a project-based artist, Mm -hmm. so I'm often kind of um, working with a set of ideas and thinking about a form for those to take, and then thinking about a new set of ideas and a form for those to take, and kind of so on like that. I think about, I think sometimes there's this word visual art. Mm -hmm. I think my practice is related to the visual arts, but I've also been doing, um, I'm disabled and I think about cross-disability solidarity a lot. And I've been kind of um, inquiring a little bit about about centering visual visuals in um, art making. And so I also like the term um, studio artist, um, Uh kind of someone who's yeah, in in a room making some things. Um, but yeah, I, I think an important uh, piece of my practice is that I'm disabled and that's something that comes into my work a lot and thinking about um, access and especially I think a lot of the forms of access in the world are come from these compliance models. So they're, they're Mm. this very kind of check a box, minimum effort, um, kind of approach to access. And I'm really interested in access that is creative and collaborative and an ongoing process and rooted in, uh, relationships and things like that. Um, so that's something that I'm always, I'm often thinking about my work is kind of, uh, experimenting with different forms of, of access. Okay. Well, cool. So uh, we're only going to be as specific about your disability as you want to be, but I'm most interested in how it uh, works with your art. Um, so for the purposes of that question, has a disability been lifelong or was it something that came uh, sort of later in life? Yeah, I've, I've been disabled since I was born, but I okay. think my awareness as like a politically disabled person or as, as a disabled person kind of understanding my experience as socially and culturally shaped Mm -hmm. was more in adulthood. I was, I was often, um, I actually, I was thinking about this recently. I actually knew a lot of other disabled people growing Mm -hmm. up, like kind of family friends and, and, um, other disabled kids and stuff like that. But I wasn't really encouraged to make connections between our Mm -hmm. experiences. Um, and I was, I was really pushed to try to be as kind of quote unquote normal as possible. Oh, that's um, a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll also say like my my disability is uh, like mobility related, so it's mostly impacting kind of like walking, standing, movement, okay, um, muscular skeletal stuff. Okay. Well, so then, uh, 
we'll come back around to that as a theme, but I, I, I often ask like, what was the moment that art first spoke to you? And then also what was the moment that you knew that you wanted to create art? And for some people, that moment is the same moment. For some people, it's different. I think, so I grew up in a pretty creative household. Um, mm. There are kind of artists and creative people um, going back, like my grandmas on both sides were were artists or not like artists as a career, but were, were artists. And, yeah. um, and so it was a big part of my childhood and kind of just like what I was doing to entertain myself as a kid. Like I remember if there was no school one day, I would go with my mom to her office. And one of the things I would do is I would make cards for all of her coworkers during the mm. day. And then at the end of the day, we would go and um, go around and deliver them. Um, so things like that, where I was just like, drawing and making things was a big part of how I was kind of like passing time as a kid mm. and so I actually can't really remember a time where like that kind of making wasn't a part of my life hmm. but I think it wasn't until later that I understood that art could also really um, say something or be a, a kind of vehicle for communicating ideas and one of the pieces that's coming to mind, I'm not remembering the title of it, but the um, Felix Gonzalez Torres piece that is mm. the the pile of candy. The pile is weighed out to be the weight of his partner um, mm. when he was diagnosed with AIDS and audience members can take a candy from the pile or not. That piece is like so intimate and so sad but there's also the sweetness of the candy and mm. um I think that's a piece that I think about in terms of like understanding how something that's relatively simple you know a pile of candy can say so many things and and um yeah so kind of have so many different emotional registers right huh okay so um Obviously, that was a significant piece for you. What Did you see it at a time that was sort of formative uh, for you as an artist? I think, I don't even, I don't think I saw it in person. I mm. think I saw it in, maybe in a textbook. Um, okay. Uh, and yeah, at a time where I had chosen to be an art major in college, I was deciding between being a math major and being an art mm. major. And um the rare person who has kind of both. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it was at a moment where I was thinking about art in more conceptual ways and exploring that more and thinking of it as maybe a bigger part of my life um, mm. rather than something that I was um, doing alongside other things. Though I still feel like I'm doing art alongside many other things. Yeah. Okay, well, so there was a, since you were already an art major at that time that you saw that piece, there was a, some point in your life that you decided, okay, I'm going to try and do this. You said you had to choose between that and math. Um, what, what helped you decide? When I thought about it, I realized that what I loved about math was solving the problem, huh. but I would often get really frustrated by the process. Hmm. And if I was stuck that part was not pleasurable to me at all. Hmm. And what I realized was that I really liked the process of making art. And so I was like that, I mean, so much of 
anything is the process. And so I think that was what made it clearer to me that like, that was, that was the right fit. Huh. Okay. So you talked about uh, drawing as a kid, like you're doing the cards and stuff like that. Um, Was drawing kind of your main thing or did you kind of get into other stuff? Yeah, a lot of drawing, a lot of kind of like craft projects, mm-hmm. um, knitting, um, like Sculpey and mm. uh, yeah, all sorts of different crafts and drawing. Um, and then, yeah, in college, I um, started doing some printmaking. And so that mm. was really like, I think drawing can feed really nicely into printmaking. So that was kind of what I was doing. And um, now I make work in really, in a lot of different forms, but I often, I still kind of think of drawing and printmaking as my like artistic home or like, those are very intuitive ways of making for me. And I often go back to those or, or can kind of trace elements of those, even in things that are not, drawing or printmaking at all yeah okay so um so you've sort of gathered tools you go to school um and you said that as an adult you started to recognize disability um as an issue your place within a society that kind of thing how did that kind of find its way into your art it was really really slow Uh, i think for me uh um I mean, and I think it's, it was always there because it's such a big part of my life and my experience. So it was always in the work, but I think I had buried it pretty deep and, Mm. you know, I would talk about it sometimes in relation to the work or in artist statements or things like that, but it wasn't something that just someone encountering the work would, would necessarily know. Um, and I think I felt a lot of fear, um, I think as because there are a lot of forces that I think push artists who are marginalized in different ways into like very specific um, ways of making or being. And, and I think that I was, yeah, I was worried that non-disabled people, I guess, wouldn't relate to the work. And then I think I got to this point where I was like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) you know, if if my audience is all other disabled people, like, great. Like, that sounds, that those, that sounds like a great, like, network to be connected with and to center in the work. And, um, yeah, and I still, I still kind of, when I'm making work, think about really centering um, other disabled people as kind of like the primary audience for the work. Hmm. So yeah, a lot of times we get into these conversations about um, art as something that heals the artist uh, versus art as something that communicates something to an audience. Um, For some people, both is important. For some people, just one or the other. Uh, Where would you say you kind of fall into that? I'm not sure. I Hmm. think... I think it is definitely about connecting with other people for Mm -hmm. me. Like, I think I noticed that when I've made something and I haven't shown it to anyone yet or haven't talked with anyone about it yet, I often feel it doesn't totally feel real to me. Huh. Um, so I think there is definitely a big part of it for me is about communicating with other people and connecting with other people. 
but I think that connection has also been really healing to me. And yeah. so I think that's maybe where that, that comes in. Hmm. Well, I mean, you talked about those elements, right. Of, um, your fears about addressing, uh, the issues of disability. Uh, so it, it, it tracks that people connecting with the work would, would be healing to you. Is there a sort of a particular thing in general that you that you want the world to get from your art or does it kind of change? Yeah, I think it does really change. I think I definitely think about it. Well, I think I had this experience with the work of other disabled like artists and writers and thinkers where there was kind of like this reflecting back to me where through their work, there were things that I understood about myself and about the world. Hmm. And I think that's part of what I'm excited about is being part of that kind of ecosystem of like, um, yeah, like reflecting or refracting different things. Um, Hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think ultimately like, yeah, I want to live in a world where disabled people are more supported, where, our needs are being met. And um, I think in small ways, I, I hope to like create moments of, of possibility or ways that things could be different. Hmm. Okay, switching gears. Uh, how long have you been in Brooklyn? Um, a little bit in and out, but, but more or less about 10 years. Okay. Well, so I asked this question because uh, I grew up in Atlanta when I was like... Um, maybe 12, 13, I went to Brooklyn for the first time and um, I was big into hip hop. So in my imagination, there was gonna be like a freestyle cypher on every corner, right? And I could ju- I just had this vision where I was gonna be like, mom, stop the car. And I was gonna jump out and start battling MCs, right? Amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I wonder uh, for you as an artist, did you have some expectations about what the scene would be like in Brooklyn for you and um, what it has been, what it has been like. I think I didn't understand until living here, like how many different art worlds or circles are here. Like there's so much happening. Like the scale is just of, so I grew up in Berkeley and San Francisco and Mm. in San Francisco, there's, that's not a non, not artistic city. Like there's a lot of art stuff happening there, but I think, you know, there's like when it comes to contemporary art, there's maybe like five museums or five, I don't, you know, it's it, and then maybe more. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in New York, there's just there's so many museums, there's so many galleries, there's there's like big commercial galleries, there's small nonprofit galleries, there's artist artist organized spaces, there's, and I think that was really exciting to me because I was like, oh, I can, I can find places that feel like a good fit. It's such an interesting thing. Yeah, I was just just thinking about expectation and um, I don't know, like uh, how much art is communication and wondering how people will interact with it. So, you know, for me, most of my art is uh, graphic novels and there's a lot of social commentary in the stuff that I do. So I'm very specific about a message that I'm trying to convey so I'm always curious about someone like you who has um, specific messages that you're intending to convey in your work, um, but you're not relying on the relationship between words and visuals in the same way 
that I am in my medium. Um, so yeah, I would like to I would like to hear your thoughts about that because you know you have something you want people to get, and are you happy if they get don't get it or you know like what is it for you? Yeah, lots of things come to mind thinking about that. I think I've been realizing more and more that there is a level of like intuition for mm. me. Like sometimes I can't, as I'm going into a process, I can't fully explain in words why I w I'm excited about something or why a certain direction is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like actually when other people, sometimes other people will notice things in the work that I didn't, yeah, I couldn't have named or intended, but then I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. Huh. Like that is, that's, that's totally there. And, um, but I think also, I mean, yeah, it's interesting thinking about graphic novels as a reference point. Like I do use text in my work mm -hmm. a lot and I, um, paired with different types of imagery or objects. And I do, I really like that text feels like a real invitation hmm. or can feel like a real invitation in. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm often want in my work is that it's kind of, yeah, it's extending an invitation um, versus like some contemporary that I think is very enclosed in its own world and set of meanings and I really have to read like the wall text or something like that to have right. a relationship with it which oftentimes I read the wall text and I'm like incredible amazing you know <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but that's something that I I want in my work is to have yeah is to hopefully like someone might have some inkling of what it's about um, mm -hmm. through the kind of text on the piece. Hi, this is Valerie Cassell-Oliver, curator of the exhibition, The Dirty South, Contemporary Art, Material Culture, and the Sonic Impulse. Occupying three floors at MCA Denver, The Dirty South makes visible the roots of Southern hip-hop culture and reveals how the aesthetic traditions of the African-American South have shaped the visual art and musical expression over the last 100 years. This exhibition features an intergenerational group of artists working in a variety of genres, from sculpture to painting and drawing to photography and film, as well as sound pieces and large-scale installation works. Head over to mcadenver.org visit and use the code TDS20, that's TDS20, for a 20% discount on general admission for this exhibition which is on view until February 5th, 2023. Okay, so uh, you do uh, work that is, can be big, it can, it can use different mediums. Um, where do you start? Like, are you starting with the message? Or are you starting with the art and then sort of discovering what the message is in the art? Maybe, yeah, maybe I'll talk about a specific project. Okay. Um, so I have this series of work that was at MCA Denver um, mm. that's called uh, Do You Want Us Here or Not? And it's benches and seating. And mm. so that was a project where 
I had been going to museums in New York City and I had just been feeling so frustrated with the lack of seating and places mm. to sit and rest in the galleries. As you know, it's this big fancy museum. There's tons of space. They've spent tons of money on all these different things. They have all this messaging of like, we want to be welcoming. We want to be inclusive. And then even something like so simple right. as a bench is not there. And so I... First, so I was really thinking about that feeling and just feeling frustrated about that. And the first thing that I did was this little drawing that just was a very simple line drawing of a bench that said, this exhibition has asked me to stand for too long, Sid, if mm. you agree. And I was like, oh, yeah, like maybe the, the piece itself can also comment on the space and on the kind of conditions of the space. And... At that time, I had no idea how to make a bench or even really what to ask someone who knew how to make a bench, how to make it. Um, and so I made that drawing in 2017. And then I started researching, you know, just kind of like putting out feelers or like, you know, talking to a friend who had a little, knew a little bit more and be like, okay, how would you do it? Or how, you know, and so I was kind of like collecting ideas for how you can make a bench um, uh -huh. and then um, in 2019 there was like an exhibition opportunity and I was like okay I'm just gonna make two like that's what I can afford that's what I feels like somewhat manageable though they're still like big objects that are hard to store right. um, and so I made two and I painted them myself and um, the other one in that set said um I'd rather be sitting, said if you agree, like just very open-ended. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of a long process to get from the idea to um, an actual object. And actually, I made a zine in the middle. That was kind of my first step was like, okay, I can't build a bench, but I can draw some ideas for a bench and I can put those in a zine. Huh. Um, and... Yeah, and then I think once those pieces were built and in the world, I started to understand way more about them, about, you know, talking to other people about their experiences of galleries and the kind of talking to curators about why there isn't more seating and, and stuff like that and um, understanding that there is kind of a strategy there in terms of, like, using the artwork itself to get more seating into the space that kind of like works around some of the norms of exhibition design. Hmm. Um, yeah. It's really great to hear that process. Um, okay. Shannon, have you ever, did you ever have a point where you struggled with calling yourself an artist? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love to hear about that. Cause you know, I think there's just this way that um, we as creative people, have these sort of intangible goals or like when this happens, then I'll be real. And so, yeah, I want to, I want to know what that was like for you. I think, yeah, I think I really had this idea that to be an artist, it had to be your career or it had to be your job. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a silly idea because that's, you know, when I, right out of college, I worked at an artist residency program and it was really amazing because I got to know a lot of artists who were like, five or seven years older than me and I had such an abstract idea of what an artist was at that time and then I 
was able to meet all these artists and understand like, oh, okay, what, what does that actually look like in your life? And like, definitely one of the things I learned is that like, almost everyone has a day job and like everyone's trying to find the day job that they like the best or like, you know, or hate the least. Yeah. Hate the least. (laughs) (laughs) Cobble different things together, like a little of this, a little of that. Um, And I think that was something that helped me understand like, oh, this isn't about having a certain career level or, or something like that. And it's more about what is my, focus or what where am I putting my energy or how I want to relate to the world and when I started talking to people being like oh I'm an artist it was so cool to then see where the conversation would go from there and Mm -hmm. um get like kind of opens up a space to like talk more about my ideas or or, um share Mm -hmm. some things that I'm thinking about in that space or or things like that makes me think about there's this movie uh by Lake Bell, uh, actress. It's called In a World, and uh, the premise of the movie is that her father is uh, like a movie trailer guy, like in a world, right? <laughs> uh, and she wants to sort of follow in his footsteps, and everybody's saying, you know, like as a woman, you can't do it, and things like that. Uh, the, the movie's okay, but hearing Lake Bell talk about making it, she said that the way she came to it was that she found that uh she was sort of raised to not speak in her real voice to speak in like a high baby voice uh as a woman and uh she went through a process of sort of recovering her own voice mm. which uh obviously is fascinating for for that specifically but also i think as an artist um particularly as an artist who uh is marginalized as you mentioned um <clears throat> there is this process of finding what is the most authentic version of me. What is my truest voice? So it's cool to hear, you know, you talk about uh, what it meant to you and finding your way in that same thing. Yeah. And I feel like that's such an ongoing process for me. You know, I'm hmm. always finding new pockets of things where I'm like, Oh, right. Like that's some kind of like norm or expectation that I got from somewhere else that actually isn't serving me or I can try doing it in a different way or I can experiment with this Mm. and it's like yeah it feels like kind of peeling back layers and layers and layers yeah well okay so when I was in my 20s I worked uh my first job out of college was producing a tv show for a televangelist it was terrible um and it was a community I had grown up in but the the job itself was especially terrible Mm. But uh, after a few years there, there was a point where um, I was walking down the hall and one of the administrators came and said, hi, Alan. And I was like, hi, like that, right? <laughs> and I got this weird picture of myself. And I was like, here I am in a shirt and tie. I realized I was walking different, like differently than who I actually am. I had made my voice higher to be less threatening. And I was like, what happened? Where where am I? And so I went through this process of sort of like uh, rediscovering myself little by little. And as I was doing that, then I start, started to see the things that the people around me had done that were so mm. subtle, you know, that I didn't notice it on the way, you know, uh, at the, originally. But when I'm trying to recover myself now, I see, oh, they're going out of their way to mess with me, mm-hmm. you know. And it's such an interesting thing because I think um, it can be like that in life. It could be like that in art. 
and uh, obviously the art ends up being a reflection of your life. But there, there's so much fear that people will stoke around you um, speaking your purest truth. And a lot of times when you do, it's not nearly as bad as it seems like it's going to be. You actually gain, you know, connections with people that you wouldn't have otherwise. And so um, for you pushing through that fear about um, making art that isn't specifically centered on non-disabled people, what kind of experiences have you had um, being able to connect with uh, other people who are disabled? So I think a big part of it was just like making, being kind of like more publicly disabled. I think my disability is somewhere kind of in between like an apparent and a non-apparent disability. Like I think some people see me move and walk and do kind of know and other people don't or, you know, and so I think that was a big part of it was, um, yeah, just being more open about that, that part of myself and that, that then other people would be like, oh, okay. Like I know another artist who's thinking about some things like that or, or things like where they were just kind of, yeah, opened up avenues of connection that way. Um, and I'll also say like, I have been the beneficiary of like really amazing intentional organizing of mm. disabled artists in New York city. There, there have been a few people who have really, um, I'm thinking of uh, dancer, Alice Shepard, who would like kind of host different gatherings mm. um, or uh, Simi Linton who did, a, and Kevin Gotkin who did a lot of organizing around this cultural plan document that the city was making that like brought a lot of artists together. And that was, I got kind of like connected into that network and then was able to meet a lot of people. Um, yeah, through that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's just something really simple, like someone being like, yeah, I wish there was a bench here, <laughs> you know, uh, right, or like right. someone sending me a picture of a space where they were like, Oh, look at this great bench or, you know, just yeah. sometimes it can be really small things, but um, yeah, that, but feel, yeah. Help me feel like I'm on kind of, a path that I want to be. That's cool. Yeah, I love I love how um, when you are your most authentic self, in spite of all the things that discourage you from it, it allows people to make more sincere connections with you. And, um, you know, you don't have to sort of like shift in and out of <laughs> who you are as much. Okay, so I know we uh, veered near this, but... Um, when you feel feel uh, fear, creative fear as an artist, how do you deal with it? What are your strategies for sort of working through it? I, I feel a lot of fear, I'll say. Yeah. And I actually feel like I've felt, I feel more fear as I have more access to opportunities. Mm. I think at a really early point in my career, I was really making for myself and kind of my immediate networks and communities. Like, it, and it, there was like a kind of sense of experimentation there that now I miss because I'm in this really amazing position where I can be paid for my work and I get to, you know, make like a big banner or, you know, all these things that, you know, 10 years ago, I never would have even believed you if you said that that was (laughs) what was going to be happening. But then I think, um, yeah, I tend to feel, feel a lot more fear about it. Um, and, fear of like 
yeah, messing up or not making something that's interesting or yeah, all sorts of different fears. Um, and I actually feel like one of the best tools I have is actually talking to other artists mm. and um, people, friends and people who know my work. I'm thinking about this experience I had earlier this year where I was invited to make a banner, like this really, it was going to go on the side of an art space in Germany, this really big banner. And I had never made something that big. And I really like froze up around thinking about what I could make for that and felt like I got kind of stuck. And then a friend was like, oh, let's just like talk about it. Like, let's just brainstorm together. And I think I had some like seeds of ideas, but I was like, oh, that's silly or that's not that's not the right thing for this. And then, but being able to kind of, yeah, talk with someone else, this friend was like, yeah, do it. Why not? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> nice. I've seen, uh, you know, I guess some of the most prolific artists I've seen have just accepted fear as a part of the process. Um, and I think doing that allows you to recognize that the fear doesn't mean that you need to stop. Doesn't mean that something's wrong. It's just it's just something that happens. Uh, for myself, I usually feel fear. I don't feel fear while I'm making something, or before. I feel it when it's done, mm. and then I'm like, "Oh, it's terrible," mm-hmm. but but it's done, so I, I put it out. You know. Mm-hmm. I and think. I, well, yeah, I I relate to that a lot. I think because I uh, it's like I am really the process is what's fun for me. And then Mm. when it's done, I often have this kind of feeling of like, Oh, that, like, I don't care about that anymore. Or like, yeah. (laughs) And, and I don't feel as like connected to her or something, which then I I feel more. Yeah. And obviously just also like the shift in audience of being like, Oh, this is something that I made and I feel excited about. Now it's (laughs) there. And I, (laughs) right. Now people are going to see it. MCA Denver at the Holiday Theater is a hub for the arts located in this historic 400-seat theater. We aim to realize one-of-a-kind creative experiences for audiences that spark curiosity, challenge conventions, inspire, and delight. Visit mcadenver.org to learn more about the robust schedule of museum-driven and collaborative programming. Okay, so uh, you've explored different mediums. Um, Are there other mediums that you're you're thinking of or looking forward to trying to experiment with? I, yeah, I mean, I've, like I said, I really come from, from drawing and printmaking. And then, um, yeah, recently I was kind of like, oh, am I a sculptor? Like a lot of what I'm making is actually like objects and I'm really interested in, in stuff and like objects, everyday objects and how those can be, artworks or not um so that's something that I've been exploring more yeah I also during the pandemic I've been doing a lot of um like like kind of textile crafts like Mm. I've been I've been knitting these like kind of simple hats for for friends and I started doing it I think because of all of the anxiety I was feeling in the early days of the pandemic and also just being on a lot of zooms I realized that like doing something with my hands was really grounding for me and Hmm. so now I've made like 
50 hats. Like everyone I know <laughs> has a hat for me. <laughs> I'm like, I have a hat right next to me as we're recording because I was knitting a little <laughs> before I got on. Nice. Like, um, and doing some different things like that. And that's also made me feel interested in exploring that more in my practice of really like noticing what processes like feel good or feel supportive to me and, or, or feel like already a part of my daily life. And then thinking about how that could be part of my art practice. Hmm. It's so interesting how, like I was, I was talking about how the art often reflects our lives and, you know, here's something that you sort of embraced in order to occupy yourself during all these zoom sessions. And now, now it might find a place in, in your larger practice. I just kind of love how all that comes together, you know? Yeah, I, I love that. And I feel like there's so many disabled artists I know who are really, yeah, who are thinking about kind of like their everyday lives as as part of what, like I'm thinking of this video by Carolyn Lazard where they're, it's just a video of them filling up their weekly pill organizer. Hmm. But it's this very slow process because there's a lot of different things moving in different places and and that that can become an artwork or or things like that where it's um yeah that that the the kind of parts of our daily lives can i think come come into artwork really in really interesting ways okay so um i guess uh what are you working on these days like what's kind of coming next for you I'm working on some um, like longer term projects. Um, so that's been kind of interesting to be, uh, yeah, like things farther in the distance, which mm. is, I think, feels really different to me. Um, one of the projects that I'm feeling most excited about is I've had this dream that instead of usually when a visitor comes into a gallery, it's like you have to move around the room to see all the artwork. So you're kind of going from artwork to artwork around the room. Mm -hmm. And I've had this dream of like kind of flipping that where it's like as a visitor, you get to come in and sit on like a comfortable seat or couch or something like that. And then the artworks come around to you on a conveyor Hmm. belt. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. It's kind of like wild, uh, yeah, wild idea. Um, and I think, yeah, there's a project that I'll get to to do that um, for next summer. And so I've been in like the conveyor belt research phase, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like looking at like luggage carousels and like um, conveyor belt sushi and all these different things <laughs> and, <laughs> and nice. figuring out what kind of conveyor belt um, could work for this project. Um so yeah, that's that's one that I'm feeling really excited about, but is a little bit farther away. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, your relationship to um, the internet and social media and stuff like that, right? Because so many of us now, as artists, not only do we have to get over our fear of uh, completing our work, but then we have to we feel at least a, a certain amount of pressure for marketing and building an audience. And some artists just don't participate at all, you know, and just kind of stick with the gallery circuit and face-to-face stuff. So how is it for you? 
I I really value social media. Hmm. I think, um, you know, even before the pandemic, lots of disabled people are home, are hmm. in bed, or are resting, or you know, it's like, um, and I think social media spaces have been interesting spaces for um, hmm. disability connection, and and I have disabled friends who live in other places who I've never met, but who I learned about their work online. And, you know, we kind of, yeah, struck up a friendship and I, now we send voice memos and all these things. So it's, I feel like it can be, yeah, a really, it can be a really amazing space for, for connection. There's obviously like lots of really tough and hard things about yeah. social media spaces, undeniably. Um, so I think I still, and I, I also, I think I value as an artist, there being a place where I can speak directly about my work and say what mm. I want to say. And it's not, um, you know, I, I love what curators write about my work, but it's often in a very specific style and, and, you know, it's their own kind of approach and thoughts about the work. And so I really like that I can, um, yeah, to kind of talk about that. And I like that I can just post about like what other whatever other like silly stuff I'm into, like a cool puzzle I did, or like <laughs> I just got this really cool like portable chair that like folds up into a tiny little bag, but then you can unfold it and it's a stool and it's like so cool. And I was <laughs> excited to post about that on right, social media. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I definitely, I find the um, like posting about a specific project or exhibition sometimes feels like less intuitive Mm-hmm. to me but or i yeah i feel more weird about the what you're saying kind of the marketing side yeah. of it but then i also think about when other artists post about what they're up to i'm so grateful that i get to know what right. they're doing and get to check it out so i try to think about sometimes i'll even think about like a specific friend or something as i'm posting to be like this is just so this person knows that this is <laughs> <laughs> happening and they can come if they want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a place of uh, fear, like uh, subverting our our perception of things again. So it's good that you found a way through it. You know, it's cool t- also to hear uh, your positive experiences with social media as a person, as an artist. Because uh, for me, it ends up largely feeling like another job. Um but there are those moments of joy. So like, for example, last night, I went to a film premiere of Weird Al Yankovic's new movie, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'm a ridiculous Weird Al Yankovic fan. But <laughs> when we got there, um, they had Hawaiian shirts and Weird Al wigs in the seat for the whole audience. <laughs> so we all got to dress as him, right? Amazing. Right, and so uh, we were able to, like I took a picture of myself and my friend put that on social media, like that's immediate joy that I get to share with people. And like, you know, hundreds of people liked it. Like I got to share that moment in a way that I would not have been uh, able to if it weren't for social media. So there are some really beautiful things about it. And then also, I, you know, I get to share my art stuff. And But then there are times where I'm like, okay, must promote this event. <laughs> you know, how do I do this? It's just, yeah. A, it, yeah, it's just an interesting thing. It's a relationship I'm always kind of working out for myself, but yeah. And I feel like it ebbs and flows and there will be like sometimes where I'm like posting up a storm and then there will be sometimes where I'm like, I just, I don't want to do it and I'll take a break or right. post less or yeah. 
I know we talked about the show that you're working on. Is there anything that you want to promote now? No, I, I mean, I'm always excited for people to just like check out my website, yeah. which is just my full name, shannonfinnegan.com. Um, that's kind of my archive of projects. And when people visit it, it also helps me remember that I need to keep updating it and keep it up to date. Speaking of other things that are kind of a job. Um, so yeah, and and then yeah, I'm I'm on I'm mostly active on Instagram and my handle is the first four letters of my first name, S H A N, and then my last name, Finnegan. Cool. Okay. Then I usually try to uh, wrap things up by asking what is uh what's your geeky pleasure these days? What's inspiring you creatively? TV, movie, music, other art, what kind of stuff? Great question. Um so many I'm like there's so many things that yeah. come to mind I'm trying to think which what to pick um oh you could share three how about that okay <laughs> um <laughs> um I've been really into puzzles jigsaw oh, nice. puzzles recently that's been really fun as like a non-screen thing to do and right. also like kind of a yeah like a thing that helps me relax and and chill out and I um right before the pandemic my partner's uh, family had gifted us this puzzle, like a vintage puzzle that was like, when we did it, we were like, oh my God, these like the way the pieces fit together and the shapes and the imagery, it's so cool. And so now we're like super into that, <laughs> nice. that brand of puzzle and we're like <laughs> checking it out on eBay and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's definitely one. And I've been loving um, Abbott Elementary. That wow. that TV show has been big for me. Um, I actually I feel like I usually watch it twice because I'm like so excited to watch it when it comes out, and then I'll watch it later with my partner. But I'm like I don't want to wait for him. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> by the way, was in the Weird Al movie playing Oprah. So oh that's what I to say. Yeah. wow okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, those are some of the things that yeah. that I yeah. Well, those answers are correct. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Shannon, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It's been yeah. uh, it's been cool. It's been cool to hear about like your artistic journey and all of that. Yeah, such a pleasure. I'm excited to um, follow your social media and get those little bits of joy when you <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah. We'll definitely connect. Yeah. Special thank you to today's guest, Shannon. Thanks to our listeners. Please be sure to subscribe to How Art is Born wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes. And if you can, leave a review. It really helps us out. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind-the-scenes clips from today's episode. Don't forget to visit MCA Denver's current exhibition, The Dirty South, on view now. 